So for the first time on recorded audio, yes. are you telling me that you are responsible for franchising and licensing of the Powerhouse brand in the United States? Yes, I'm going to tell you that as told by Powerhouse, the founders and the Dabich brothers, I'm responsible for the first franchise of Powerhouse Gym in the United States. I feel like I'm Wolf Blitzer and there's a breaking news <laughs> thing on CNN right now just flashing that That's this just good. happened and it's across other networks That's around good. the country. That's good. I want to welcome you to Halo Talks, the Dream Architect series. This is Pete Moore, Integrity Square. I have the pleasure of bringing from Scottsdale, Arizona, Brian Drazis Mitchell. Boom. Hello, Pete. Thanks for having Good me. Good to see you, man. Always, always a pleasure. Now, I've known Brian for over 17, 18 years now. He used to be my arch nemesis in the software industry when we were both competing for websites before there were smartphones. Yes. Before there was Wi-Fi. Yes. Before there were T1 lines. Let's just say we did not make a lot of money doing that, but we created a very long-lasting friendship. And we're going to tell you some of those stories. We're going to talk about some of those today. Uh, but Brian, why don't you talk about how you got into the industry pretty much at the, the inception of the current day's fitness industry with uh, Powerhouse and how that started with sure. your family and some of the epic stories yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. told over the years. We might as well get them recorded. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go way back. Uh, I'm from uh, South Jersey. Born and raised uh, outside of Philadelphia. I claim Philly as home. And, uh, well, story would have it. Well, I used to, uh, my uncle was one of the founders of Powerhouse Gym. He was uh, in the Muschietti gang with the Dabish brothers. And, uh, out of Detroit? Yeah, out of Detroit, okay, a very famous gang. And uh, they decided Powerhouse Gym, I'll give you a little history on that, 45 sure. years ago. Uh, they used to hang a boxing bag uh, from a tree in their backyard. And then people started coming over and boxing in the backyard. So they thought, hmm, we should make membership cards. In the backyard. In the backyard. Like a, like a punch card. Yeah, like a punch card. Nice. So they started selling memberships in the neighborhood. And then they realized, well, we need more equipment. So they started charging for those memberships in the backyard. Wow. And then in their father's grocery store in the back. They decided Powerhouse to grocery. Powerhouse <laughs> grocery. Okay. And then... Uh, that expanded to the first powerhouse gym, and rumor has it, I'm just gonna say this is a rumor. Yep. I used to sell powerhouse apparel as a kid. I would order from a catalog, uh, basically a checkbox sheet like we all remember, and I would send it to powerhouse in Michigan, the one gym, and I would order boat necks and uh, tank tops and all different kinds of uh, apparel back then. And as rumor has it, I sold so much powerhouse apparel that one day they received a call from somebody in South Jersey saying, hey, we'd like to open one of these powerhouse gyms around here. Hmm. And that was the first franchise of powerhouse gym. So for the first time on recorded audio, yes. are you telling me that you are responsible for franchising and licensing of the powerhouse brand in the United States? Yes, I'm gonna tell you that as told by powerhouse, the founders and the Dabbage brothers, I'm responsible for the first franchise of Powerhouse Gym in the United States. I feel like I'm Wolf Blitzer and there's a breaking news <laughs> thing on CNN right now just flashing that That's this just good. happened and it's across all the networks That's around good. the country. That's good. So, so where'd you take it from there? I mean, you, so, so you, you're, you're old school, you, you know the, the lineage of, of 
the weightlifting industry and now you got some oh, yeah. guys in the back of a backyard fitness oh, yeah. going to grocery now we're going into the clubs yeah yeah so i went to college uh, i went to west virginia university and after college i took off uh for you know a better dream and moved to california and in california i started working at a i knew i needed to learn about the fitness industry from people who understood it and i started working at fitness usa which was uh will hubner and owned uh, Paramount Equipment and uh, all the gyms, he, they converted from Vic Tanny and Grecian and European health spas way, way, way back. Wow. And I rose to the top in the first year. I was the first person ever to, to become the manager of my own club. I think I was 24 years old. You were in, this was in Venice Beach? This was in San Francisco oh, okay. and around Silicon Valley. Gotcha. And uh, so from there, I realized it was time to move on to better, bigger and better. And I moved down to Venice Beach, California. And the, the Mecca, dad, the, the Mecca, Mecca the Mecca. And I was asked to open the first powerhouse gym in the Mecca on Main Street. Muscle tough. Huge, huge, huge gym on, on Main Street. And uh, uh, well, the story goes from there. I was I was a top salesman there. Uh, I'll give you a little fun story about how I used to sell there. I, I was such an advocate of fitness and believed in it so much that everybody who walked in the gym, as far as I was concerned, was lucky that they came. Their day was going to be and their life was going to be better that they met me and was going to be changed from that moment on. I had that core belief. What year, year was this? Uh, 93. So you were creating the halo effect. Absolutely creating the halo effect. Amazing. Main Street, Venice Beach, California. So people would walk in the gym, and I'd bring them over to the dumbbell rack. Smart. And uh, I'd say, so what do, what do you want to get out of this? And they'd say, well, I want to lose 20 pounds. I'd say, okay, wonderful. And, you see, and I'd, get, I'd grab a 20-pound dumbbell, and I'd say, these are our dumbbells, and I'd hand them a dumbbell. And then I'd walk them over and I'd say, oh, by the way, this is our lifetime. This is our hammer equipment. Come on down with me. And it was a very big gym. I'd say, these are our 50 treadmills and these are our stair climbers. Come on with me. Let's go look at our stretching area and our leg area. And uh, about eh, 12 minutes later into the tour, I'd bring them back up to the sales desk and I'd say, oh, my God, sorry about that. They'd, they'd be sweating. I said, let me take that 20-pound dumbbell from you. And then when I took that dumbbell from him, I'd say, that's what it's going to feel like when we get that 20 pounds off you. Nice. Sign here. And uh, my closing rate was about nine and a half out of 10. And uh, I, I made a name for myself in Venice Beach doing sales. I love that story. Now, I, I, re, I distinctly remember a picture of you and Shaq. Where, yeah. where was that picture taken and, and, and how did that happen? So I used to train Shaq. So uh, Leonard Armato, who was the... Uh, he won the, uh, with UCLA, he won the volleyball NCAA championships. He's now the uh, president and CEO of uh, volleyball in USA. Uh, not sure the, you know, uh, exactly. He's married to Holly McPeak, the, the champion volleyball player. Well, he was my client, and he brought me uh, Oscar De La Hoya, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, and uh, Lisa Leslie. Uh, wow. you know, who we all know, top woman. So I used to train them. I used to stand on a bench to hand Lisa Leslie and Shaq uh, their weights. I used to stand up on a bench to have to hand it to them over their heads. It was a very funny time. Um, but that's, that, that's how that started. And I'll tell you one more thing about, you know, I, I, I sat in Venice Beach, and this is the next story, and I watched these members come into this gym all the time, and I realized that we only sold them a membership once a year. Mm. And oh, it was all paid in full? All paid in full. Uh, okay, and I realized we were taking all their cash. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. And we were just taking their cash once a year, and nobody was making money off them. And I thought, you know, these guys bring something with them every time they come here. Their wallets. What can we do to provide a better service, keep them here, and make more revenue from them? So mm. I started a, a company called Fit Lifestyles. Wow. And we outsourced the personal training and nutrition services from the gyms. 
And so you, we, you were paying rent. Absolutely paying rent. So your, your employees basically using their location. They've got members in there. You're soliciting off of their member Absolutely. base that they weren't monetized. Absolutely. The yeah. old school model of trainers paying rent was no longer. And we paid rent and everybody wore a shirt. And uh, in Venice Beach, in the Mecca of Fitness, we ended up having uh, nine out of ten people in the gym were with one of our Fit Lifestyles trainers. Wow. We certified a program where we went through from the six-minute stretch to getting them off the cardio to letting them schedule on their own. I uh, wrote a lot of publications with Weeder. I was in shape, uh, shape and jump and men's fitness and muscle and fitness all in the early days. And uh, the Weeders were good friends of ours. And uh, from there, we, we realized Fit Lifestyles was a staffing company. We professionalized it and brought in some, some, some people who knew what they were doing. And we started outsourcing Fit Lifestyles um, all over the country. And people would send their head trainer to Venice Beach where they would get Fit Lifestyles certified and trained and we license it to them, and then we were getting royalties from the clubs that implemented Fit Lifestyles around the country. That, that's a great story. So look, before we tell the, the, the listeners here what you're doing now, I want to just take a step back and, and say, or ask you, the, the understanding what goes on in the club, and understanding how people get paid, and understanding the dynamics of the members, and when to take that twenty-pound dumbbell away from that person when they know when you know they're ready to say, you know what, this is twenty pounds too much, and then you throw the Boom. membership agreement. A lot of people come into industries and they think, okay, I got this great idea, I'm going to change the industry, but they've never been in the industry. Come right. up with some app that they think is going to change the world, but they don't understand the dynamics. So maybe just tell our listeners here. You know, how do you think about all the experience you have? I usually use this term like experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. Right, right. Right. And, you know, so when you look at a, a health club and you look at the promotions and we'll get to promotion vault in a bit. But, you know, how, how do you view that of like saying to a gym owner or a health club or somebody who owns a franchise? Like, look, man, I've actually been there. I've been your employee. I've been your trainer. I've, I've run every job that you have somebody working in. So let me tell you how this works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. I'm a very passionate guy. I always thought that I could push a train up a mountain with my back, and I've tried it over the years. Uh, I've always gone with, gone with my gut. You know, most people in the fitness industry are entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurs, uh, I like to say, we, we don't do a few things when we start a business. We see a need, and we think that we can fill it. We don't do market research. We don't really understand if the product or service is executable, sellable, and uh, maintainable. We just think that we could push it up a mountain in a train. And, and you know, and what I would tell people is, uh, what I've learned as I've gotten older with experience is I rely more on the data now. I absolutely rely more on, on data and so forth. Mm. But I would tell people, you know, in the fitness industry, there's lots of vendors. And the vendors are all the people that understand their core model and what they're doing and how to drive revenue and how to drive their service. And those vendors have their ear to the ground and they know what's going on. Um, I think, I think what it all boils down to is you don't have to be good at everything. You have to be good at, uh, hiring and surrounding yourself with the right people who are good at their respected jobs. I think that's really the key because you'll never be able to have experience at everything. That's great. That's great. So Brian pivot and tell us what you're doing now. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of back up and talk about our, our relationship from the beginning. Absolutely. So uh, for about, um, right now we're doing a company called Promotion Vault. Promotion Vault is a digital incentive marketing company. We are a, a software platform that basically runs gift cards for enterprise marketing solutions. So um, anywhere in the member life cycle in the fitness industry, you want to plug in an incentive. 
if you want to get more personal training, if you want to get more tours, if you want to get uh, closing needs to come up, if you want to get people to check in more times, whatever the action you're trying to inquire, okay, you use a gift card. Uh, it gets you 10% increase on the top, and we fulfill those gift cards, and we've seen unbelievable results with those gift cards. In, in the industry, as most people know, the best marketing is marketing to your members and having them refer their friends, and that's kind of their own little internal halo effect of sorts. I'm getting results here. Why don't you come and join me? Yep. So from a standpoint of, of what your software does now, you're trying to tap into the current members and trying to incent them or leads that are already come into the club and your API directly with the software company that has the member database. So when you think about someone's member database as an asset, you know, talk me through and our listeners to understand if they are a health club chain or if they have any business where they actually have this email marketing database. Yep. And most of it's like sending out a monthly newsletter you know like where where are we today and what the what can you do and really understand like this is the data yep, yep. this is your asset yep so stepping back the issue the issue with these gyms is the narrative okay and i'm going to say narrative 10 times in the next few minutes basically gyms have been doing the same thing in health clubs for years and years and years and they've been given discounts of their own services and their own fees they discount their enrollment fees they discount their training they discount their memberships they give free months if you refer somebody and they haven't professionalized their marketing programs. They don't understand the cost to acquire a new customer. They don't understand the ROI. And uh, it's just recently that we've been able to show them with data how these things can be professionalized. Um, everything in the gym industry is zero down, free, 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 free. I truly believe that's because they don't have another narrative. They don't have uh, another incentive to use other than their own services. And the big problem in the industry over 50 years is that the clubs have been conditioned that months, uh, free months are actually free, and they don't understand that it's lost revenue. Right. So now that we can use the data to explain to them that it's lost revenue, show them real numbers, and show them how they can monetize their databases. So in action is, instead of giving free months and referrals that have no value to you, they also have no value to the person that you're asking to give you the referral. Right. So what's changed in the marketplace, and what's changed with digital and so forth is, we have programs running with hundreds of clubs that say, hey, every friend you refer, you're going to get a $20 Amazon card. Every friend you refer, you're going to get a Lululemon gift card. And these promotions not only drive uh, at least 15% more at the top of the funnel, but they actually have better engagement, they actually have better return on investment, and it's a win-win all the way around by utilizing your current membership. So we have a lot of different ways to teach these clubs that by using what you have, uh, every morning's not a grand opening and every night doesn't have to be a foreclosure. And that, that's a line I've been using in the fitness industry for 30 years. Everybody goes day to day, hour by hour. How many new members? How many new members? When there's more members leaving through the back door than there are coming in through the front door, uh, it's being professionalized now and, and things are changing drastically. And when you think about you know, the cost of member acquisition, you know, in the example you just used, okay, so I give a member a $20 gift card plus whatever transaction fee. You know, what's that versus what it actually costs them if they do their direct mail or they're doing their radio ads, you know, you probably three, four, five times that, that number. Absolutely, three, four, five times plus, plus an increase at the top of the funnel. Now, to use a gift card incentive at Promotion Vault, you still need to use the other mediums to get the word out. The difference is that and when you charge zero enrollment at your club, you actually sign up 100 people, 100 people sign up for zero. When you give a $20 Amazon card and you sign up 100 people, you're only gonna have a 30% redemption rate, an activation rate, 
On gift cards. On gift general. cards, on general. That's the incentive world. And you only pay on those activated gift cards. So imagine being able to charge $20 enrollment fee, get it from 100 people, $2,000. You only have to pay for 30 of those cards at $20, $600. You just made $1,400 more on just the enrollment fees alone. So forget about the goodwill, the engagement, and then the life cycle you've started with, with the member so you could uh, incentivize all the other actions. We have something called a member life cycle where you incentivize a trial to the enrollment during the trial to meeting their coach for the fitness orientation, which gives you the ability to sell personal training, then to selling a PT package to them, and then to selling, uh, getting them to bring in referrals who join and restart the member life cycle again. That's so, great. you know, we believe in uh, building pipelines and not hauling buckets. So it sounds like from all your experience and understanding the, the dynamics and the economics of an industry that, that started in the backyard, that turned into an apparel business, that morphed into a licensing business and actually on the ground level, you, you, you get the, the, the different moving pieces of the industry. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you a question. How important is it to you to be right? <laughs> um, that's a great question. That's a great question. Well, uh, I'm thinking about it, you know, like you're passionate. I get it. Yeah. You know, there's 500 health clubs that get it. There's also 50,000 health clubs that don't get it. Absolutely. You know, so when you sign it kind of, you know, at the end of the day, you're like, well, I, I took 10 calls, you know, and eight of them said they're going to test it. But what, you got to test it on one club. Like, what don't you get to, to, to roll it out? Yeah. Like, how do you feel about that? Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm my biggest, my biggest barrier and the biggest wall is myself and my expertise and my years in the industry. I, I feel like uh, sometimes I could, you know, lead the horse to water, but I can't make them drink. And when I was younger, I felt like I could make them drink. I could actually hold their head down in the water and make them drink. And uh, I've, 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 I've realized lately that uh, I'm the most, I tell everybody I'm the most passionate, you know, and, and emotional person in the room, but there's no emotion in this anymore. It, it's data driven. The data has the numbers. And if people really want to run their businesses, they have to look at the data. They have to have spreadsheets. They have to have line items for marketing and cost and ROI and all the things that, that most businesses have. And, uh, so, uh, I, I think, I think the, the old, you know, the younger Brian was definitely needed to be right all the time. And mm -hmm. that caused me a lot of problems and, and setbacks, I would say, but the older Brian, uh, at this point, the product's so good and, and the data delivers what, it, you know, the answers. I really feel that uh, it's our responsibility to, 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 uh, to give people the information and to help them understand it in any way they can digest it. That's great. So one of the things that comes across, and I've known you for 17 years, which is somewhat unusual, is not only are you passionate, but you actually care. Okay, and that's probably, you know, you care about your clients, you care about your friends, you care about your family. But I feel like you, you care so much about the profitability of, of their venture because if they make too many mistakes that we've made in the past, that they're going to hit a rock at some point and they might not be able to recover. This is a very competitive industry. You know, so, so how do you get across sometimes like a, a guy that we met with at, at the trade show the other day where he's maybe thinking about doing something else or not running the programs and you're like his friend now and you care and you don't want them to make a decision, but you're trying to hold back from like, this is a business relationship. Like you're not my friend, you pay me as a vendor. So how do you, how do you kind of calibrate that? It's complicated in this industry. It's, it's very hard. I, I think, I think what I used to do is I, I would, I would show them that I was an expert to the point where they would, they would eventually purchase and they, they would utilize the services. But what they were really buying was Brian Mitchell and not uh, the company or its services. They figured if I was on their side, we'd figure things out. I'd be worth my money. Um, what I've done lately, you know, over the past two years is really 
the product's so good that we have, I make sure to step out of it and bring other people in that can validate. After, I, after I'm the emotional one that gets them fired up and excited, I have other people get involved that really give them the numbers and execute on these things. And I think that helps them uh, realize that they have a direct connection to me as a consultant to them and as a friend and, and caring about them and wanting them to do better. Uh, that gets across and then they go to other people in my organization that actually can execute. And when they need to be reminded that we care and what we're trying to accomplish and so forth, I, I, I step back in. And so I think it's the balance of not being the, the all to and the only guy to them and, and, uh, and, and showing them there's a lot of people involved behind the scenes and, and uh, do, do what I need to do with them as a friendship and, and caring uh, when I need to. That's great. That's great. So we got Promotion Vault now. We're in over 500 clubs. You got API into most of the big software players in the space got the gift card incentives. One of the questions I want to ask you about from a company standpoint is if I'm a three to five club operator and I come to you and now I can do a promotion with gift cards and I can be affiliated with Amazon or Apple or Dick's Sporting Goods, like what does that do from a psychology of the member to think like, wow, how do these guys get a deal with Apple? Wow. Like who's talking? Great how question. big is this company? Great question. So not only all the things I, I told about top of the funnel, bringing in 10, 15% more actions, not only about better engagement and so forth, but um, when you take a, a gym chain, you know, Brian's Fitness in South Jersey and you have five clubs, it makes a huge difference when all of a sudden you're related to Nike. When you say, hey, everybody that you bring in that refers somebody, we're going to get you a Nike gift card. It brings goodwill. They believe that you're professionalized at it. Um, the way our program works, and that, another thing, because we're really talking about engagement and branding at this point. Um, when you come in, let's say it's take a tour and get a, get a $10 Lululemon gift card. The minute you come in and take the tour and you, and, and you sign up in the, in the club, you're, you get an email from Promotion Vault on behalf of the club immediately with your Lululemon gift card while you're standing there. So the engagement part of it has shown to cre increase sales and closing ratio in the 20 percentile. Um, so there's a lot of this is this is a lot more than than, uh, it, you know, incentivizing things gets engagement, engagement gets goodwill and actions get taken in today's world with with this digital kind of marketing and, and incentivizing. Well, it sounds like uh, you've, you've gotten to the point where you, you've got the software in place, you, you got the promotions and for the uh, potential clients that that are listening here, you know, it's uh, it's not by what you need and or what you want. It's by what you need and what you want and you get it yep. and you know it's helping you grow your business so uh love to have you here great to uh reconnect with you very mm -hmm. happy that we're uh we're working together and i uh, hope our listeners learned a couple of things about the industry in the process wow thanks a lot thanks for having me it was great awesome. anytime <laughs>